It's neat there to see someone as close to us as our JSU uh, BCM. I talked to Matthew Haney last night. Matthew got enrolled at Jacksonville State a couple of weeks ago, and he told me, he said, I found all my classes, and then I went to the BCM and introduced myself uh, to Gary Britton, and so I plugged in there, and I was so grateful to hear him tell me that and to know that he is, uh, even when he can't be here, he's plugged in somewhere. So you pray for uh, what we can do uh, there with the Myers-Mallory Mission Offering. And pray for uh, as the continued support of those important things. Matt, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33 and 6, uh, 1 through 4 are our scriptures for today. We're in the fifth week of a six-week series on I, called I Am a Church Member. Next week will be the last sermon in that series. And today, the title of our sermon is, I Will Lead My Family to Be Healthy Church Members. Let's read these verses together here, and then we'll dive into what the Lord has for us to learn. Um, <clears throat> Paul is writing here to the church of Ephesus, and in verse number 22, he begins it with this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, any, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um... Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So, a lot of verses there that say a lot of different things. So how do these verses about the family relate to us in church membership? If you read these verses, you go back and pour over them and read them over and over, you'll see that these verses talk about unconditional, sacrificial love. Now, think about your role in your family. Think about the different roles you've played in your family. You were born into a family as a child. God gave instruction there in Ephesians chapter 6, those first few verses, as to how we are to live as children 
in our parents' household, honoring our father and mother, and knowing that uh, God gave us instruction through the, um, through the Ten Commandments that if we honor our parents, that there's a, a long life in the land for us. Um, then we grow up and we become a spouse. Many of us become spouses. We become a husband or we become a wife. And our roles change there. And then we, if God so chooses to bless us, we become um, parents. And then some people become grandparents or great-grandparents. I've had the pleasure of watching uh, over the last, uh, the time that I've been here, watching some of you transition from parent to grandparent, and now some of you are transitioning to great-grandparents. And some of you who were parents told me that when those, grandparents, when those grandchildren came, those children went to the side, and everything became about the grandchildren. And now you've got great-grandchildren coming, and I feel bad for the grandchildren because they may get pushed to the side. But think about how our roles change through life. How does this relate to us as church members and church membership? We become church members. We, may, may, we become Christians. We may walk an aisle in a church and decide that we've prayed about it and this is the church where we know that we're being called to serve and to fellowship. And so we become a member of that church. We may go through believer's baptism. We may come by a statement, however, and we plug into that church and we begin to grow. We begin to come and sit under preaching. We go to Sunday school. We sit under teaching. And God begins to stir up in us and we understand that we have spiritual gifts and we understand that we've been gifted in certain ways. So we go from just uh, being a member to being one who serves and serves in different capacities. I've had the pleasure of watching people come here and, and join the church and find out that they have a gift of teaching and begin to teach Sunday school. I've had the pleasure of watching some of those same people um, with the gift of service, become a deacon, and even some who went on to be in ministry. So, in a healthy church, like a healthy family, we are to love and serve and sacrifice conditionally. And the family is vital to the church. So we're going to look at some things here that in the book, I Am a Church Member by Tom Rayner, he expresses some ideas as to how we grow in being um, a better church member, and in how we grow in, in growing our family in this aspect. First of all, he says that we should be praying together as a family for the church. Now think about this. Outside of your own family, outside of the people who live in your home, who are the most important people in your life? Outside of the people that maybe your children, your spouse, your, uh, the, those people who are your relatives, who are the most important people in your life? I imagine as, as you're thinking about that, you're thinking about people in your Sunday school class, you're thinking about people that you sit on a pew with in, in church, you're thinking about other choir members, you're thinking about people that you have been a part of, uh, a church family through all these years, and outside of our family that we pray for every day and we pray for diligently, for their needs and the things that are going on in their lives, our church and our church family should be our number one prayer priority outside of those people in our own families. Now, he gives the opportunity here for us to know how to pray for the leadership of the church in a number of ways. I'm going to run through these pretty quick because we touched on some of them last week, and I don't want to just um, talk about those 
at length again. But there are great, there are great ways that Tom Rainer gives us here for to, to pray for the leadership of the church. Uh, whether it's our, our ministry team or whether it's our deacons, your Sunday school teacher, whoever it is, if they're in the leadership, here's some ways that you can pray for them. Number one, pray for their spiritual protection. Some of you are in, a, uh, in Sunday school classes where you're talking about the spiritual world. You're talking about this morning, I think your topic was on the paranormal. Was that, Martha, was that the... the so you're talking about those things. And when you're talking about the opposition that we face in the, in the spiritual world. And it's important for us to talk about those things. Paul talked about them at length. So if there's a place that you want to begin praying for leadership in your church, begin to go to Ephesians chapter 6, where we are right now. If you're still there, look at verse number 10 with me. We'll read some of these verses. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how the devil has a trap set for every minister that you know. Every minister you know the devil has a trap set for them. So you pray against the scheme that the devil has for them. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a reality. What you read in Sunday school this morning is a reality. There are spiritual forces of evil all around us on this earth. So here's what I want you to pray for your church leadership. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18, and pray those things over your Sunday school teacher. Pray those things over your ministry staff. Pray those things over our deacons. Pray that God protect them spiritually. Pray that they are truthful, that they're righteous, that they're sharing the gospel, and that they are strong in their faith. Secondly, he points out that we should pray for protection from moral failure. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth here, and he says these words, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Moral failure. Pray to protect your ministry leaders from moral failure. You know where moral failure begins? In a, in a pastor, in a, in a, in a, in a team, ministry team member, in a deacon, Sunday school teacher. Moral failure begins in pride. Moral failure begins when we begin to believe those people who think the most of us and who tell us how good we are and how great we are, and we begin to hear that and we begin to believe that and we begin to think, well, maybe I am, or maybe we are, maybe, 
And here's what, here's what happens. That pride comes into to that life and it, that pride overtakes that prayer time. That pride overtakes that, opportunity, that, that desire that we have to know that we are completely and absolutely dependent on God for every single thing in our life. Pride is where that comes from. We've watched it over the last couple of decades or over the last 30 years. We've seen some of the most famous pastors who had some of the most dynamic ministries and some of the most productive ministries. Ministries that were touching lives and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus and then something happens and we see a very public moral failure happen in their life. And it brings a blemish upon the whole church, not just, that, not just that famous preacher, but it brings a blemish on the whole church. It's not just um, there, but we see examples in the Bible. King David, who the Scriptures say was a man after God's own heart. King David, who led the nation of Israel to be the greatest nation in existence at the point in time that he was king. But King David began to believe his own press clippings. He began to, they, they would march through the streets and they would sing and they would say, Saul has killed his ten thousands, but David, ha, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And those things began to puff David up. And the Scriptures tell us that in the, in the time of the year when the kings were out at war, David decided to take a break. David got a little bit lazy, and he stayed home idle instead of being where he was supposed to be. And the devil had a trap set for him in the name of a woman called Bathsheba. And David had a great moral failure not only did he commit adultery, but then he committed murder to cover up that adultery. And we see that from that point in his life, his life became nothing but turmoil. His children turned against him. His children rebelled on him. And even his son Solomon, who was able to come and build the temple that David longed to build, Solomon was allowed to build it, the Scriptures tell us that Solomon was the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth. But yet Solomon, even in all of his wisdom, became puffed up and prideful. And we see that he began to marry all around the world different women who brought different ways of worship into the kingdom. And Solomon had a moral failure. So pray for protection from moral failure. Pray for the preaching of the Word. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says, And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Pray for the preaching of the Word. When I first came here, right up there at the very top of the very back of the balcony on the wall was a big clock. And that clock was there to let the preacher know what time it was. I don't know how long it had been there. I don't know who hung it. I hope that none of you hung it and I'm offending you. But there was a point to where somebody went, and I still don't know to this day 
It's been years ago, but somebody went in the balcony and they took down that clock and they put up a big sign where that clock used to hang and it said, Preach the Word. In big, bold letters, black letters. And instead of me looking and seeing a clock, I was, I was looking back then and I would see it say, Preach the Word. Man, that was inspiring that somebody would do that. I want you to pray that we have the boldness to preach the Word, to preach the Gospel here in this church without fail. Whether it's me standing in this pulpit, whether it's Seth, whether it's Micah, whether any one of us who have the opportunity, Chris Tears fills in some, uh, Chris Posey, there are others that, that fill this pulpit. Sometimes you pray that the most important thing on our mind when we stand behind this pulpit is that we preach the Word. I want to give you three ways you can pray for me this week in preaching the Word. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, I want you to pray for my prayer time. I want you to pray that every morning when I pray that the Holy Spirit will inspire me as to what to preach to this congregation. Pray for my prayer time. Number two, pray for my preparation time. Now, it's Sunday morning. My goal is by Thursday at lunch to be finished with my sermon, to have it completely written, and to be able from Thursday afternoon until Sunday morning to think about that sermon. That's my goal. Now, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when I walk in this office, my week may change. Everything about my week may change. And I may not have the time that I have devoted on Monday and Tuesday to sit down and write the way that I want to. So you pray that through the week that my preparation time, even if it's interrupted, that I have time at, at some point to properly prepare to preach God's Word. And then I want you third to pray for my preaching time. I want you to pray for while I am behind this pulpit that I have clarity of mind that everything I prayed for and everything I prayed for, prepared for that I'm able to expound on it from this pulpit clearly in a way that can encourage people, grow people in their relationship with Jesus and lead people to Jesus Christ. So those are the ways you can pray for me in the preaching of the Word. He talks about the prayers for our family. We talked at length about that last week. You can go back and read 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 6. But know that a, that, that a, church, a church leader's family is under constant attack, whether they're a ministry team, whether they're a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, the devil is going to attack their family. Another way that you can pray for church leaders is to pray for encouragement. Romans chapter 1, 11 and 12 says this, For I long to see you. I long to see you. Paul is writing this, and in those first few words right there, what he's saying is, I am in a prison and I am very lonely. I'm lonely. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I've seen this ever since I was a little boy. They will show this picture of President Kennedy staring out a window. It's his silhouette staring out a window. And you can tell even from the backside that he's in deep contemplation. It's during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, the, and what was said about that moment was that the presidency is the loneliest job in the world. And I can imagine that during a Cuban Missile Crisis, or during some things that the presidency can be the loneliest job in the world. 
But I want to tell you, ministry can be the loneliest job in the world. And your ministers need encouragement. They don't need all the time just to hear the complaints. They don't need all the time just to hear the doubts and the frustrations. These guys need to hear encouragement. And they need friendships. Brother Philip, Brother Philip Cooper said these words to me one day about one of our members. He said, Danny Pointer is my friend. And he said, that's important to me. He said, because ministers don't have a lot of friends. And he said, Danny doesn't hang around with me because he wants to know what's going on in the office or because he, he hangs around with me because he's my friend. Anytime that you have an opportunity to encourage Micah, anytime that you have an opportunity to encourage Seth, anytime that you have an opportunity to encourage Donna, make sure that you, as much as you go out of your way sometimes to tell them what you don't like and what's wrong, go as much out of your way to tell them what they're doing right and encourage them. And be a friend. Be a friend. So, then, pray for your leadership. Pray for their physical strength. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Seth's had pneumonia all week. Um, I told him Wednesday, don't come to church. He came on anyway. Pneumonia is very hard to overcome. You pray for Seth this week that he completely gets over the pneumonia that he has because if he doesn't, he's going to get pneumonia again and it's just going to keep on and on and on. So you pray for his health. You pray for the health of your ministers. You pray for the health of your deacons. You pray for the health of your Sunday school teachers. You pray for those things. And then you pray for courage for your leadership. Think about these words that God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. He said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's going to be a man someday who has to replace Nick Saban. Can you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine the pressure that? Can you imagine the pressure that was on the man who replaced Pat Dye at Auburn? Can you imagine that, that pressure that those people are under? Now I want you to take that and multiply it by about a thousand. That's the pressure that Joshua was under as he had to replace the most important person in all the Old Testament when he had to replace Moses. But here's what, here's what had happened. Moses had taught him how to lead, and Joshua knew those things, and God said, I've commanded you, now just go be strong and do it. Now here's what I want you to pray for your ministry team, and your deacons, and your Sunday school. Pray that they just be strong and do it. It's an intimidating thing to walk down this hallway as a pastor of a church, to walk down this hallway and to look and there's Ralph Longshore staring at you. 
Mr. Johnny Atkinson told me, Mr. Johnny Atkinson knew the history of our church really well. And Mr. Johnny Atkinson told me point blank one day, son, there'll never be a preacher here as good as Ralph Longshore. And every time I walk by that picture of, of Reverend Longshore, I hear those words of Johnny Atkinson and I think, I'm not as good as him. If I ask you to raise your hand uh, as to who baptized you, most of you, a lot of you in this room will raise your hand. Jay Holland Thomas baptized a great deal of people in this church. Then to know that there's somebody named, uh, a Pastor Whitley that we named a, a wing of the church after, who left his church and went to serve in missions, took his family. And then to know that I said under the preaching of Ed Kugler, you pray for me to be strong and courageous because sometimes that's very daunting. Sometimes it is. And even our student ministry to know that Jess Jennings used to be the best missionary in the whole world used to be the student minister here. That's daunting. That, that's intimidating sometimes. So you pray for us to be strong and courageous. Pray for us to have discernment. Pray for us to do what's important and not just get caught up in what's urgent. But pray for us to do what's important. There's a lot of useless things that people spend their time doing. Now this is a quote, I believe it's my own original quote. There is nothing more useless than being efficient at things that are useless. Let me say that again. There is nothing more useless than being efficient at things that are useless. Pray for us not to get caught up in the useless things. But pray for us to get caught up in the things that advance the kingdom of God. And then pray for wisdom and leadership. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Pray for us to have wisdom in our leadership. As a church member, I have to teach my family to pray together for the church. I'm constantly reminding my family to pray for the church and to pray for the people and the people in the, uh, situ different situations in our church. It's important for us to worship together as a family. It makes my heart happy to stand here on Sunday mornings and to look and to see the youth who used to, used to be in my youth group, to see them bringing their children to church now. To see them married and bringing their children to church now. And to know that they're still plugged in, that there's still a lot of them are doing important things in ministry here, but it is so good to see them continuing to worship together as a family. Worship together in the church. My children are Christians because we came to church and we worship together in the church. My children got to a certain age to where they began to ask questions about what was being taught to them in Sunday school and about what they were hearing at children's church, and about what they were hearing in the different places in church. And so one evening at six years old, Bryson goes into a bedroom. I'm on a mission trip. He goes into the bedroom and begins to ask Bree those questions, and she has the opportunity, because he's been in church all this time, she has the opportunity to lead him to Christ there at six years old. It's important that we bring our children to church and that they hear the Word of God as early as possible. We must encourage and lead our families to worship together in the church. My oldest son has moved. He moved out of my house. 
I'm still buying his groceries, but he moved. Now, he's been gone the last three weekends, hadn't been in church. It hasn't seemed the same to me without him sitting here. So sometime this evening, or sometime tomorrow, I'm going to be in his ear, and he's going to know that there won't be any groceries if he's not at church. It's important to me that we're here together. On Sunday mornings, worshiping together. But you see, the first mission field in our lives should be our family. That should be our first mission field. Both of my children are Christians. That was what was important to me, was to know that someday in eternity, no matter how, what they've done to me, we'll be in heaven and I won't remember what they've done to me and everything will be good. That was what was important. That was my first mission field, was my children. Some of you this morning, um, Tom Rayner wrote some encouragement here. Maybe you're a husband whose wife is not a Christian or a, a, a wife whose husband is not a Christian. Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 7.14. He said, For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. He goes on to say this, it can be lonely to be the believer in an unbelieving family. It can likewise be lonely going to worship at your church alone while your spouse remains behind. But God has given such people a mission field, their families. Like the missionary who travels thousands of miles to tell the good news to unevangelized people, this church member is to tell the good news in his or her own home. Be an encouragement to that unbelieving spouse. Gene Smith is the perfect picture of this. Not, not Lisa's not the unbeliever here. <laughs> Let me get that straight. Lisa came to church for a long time without Gene. Lisa and Kaylee were here every week without Gene. We never met together as a youth group that Kaylee didn't say, please pray for my dad, that my dad will be saved. Lisa never went to Sunday school. What she didn't say to her Sunday school class, please pray for Gene, that Gene will be saved. Well, guess what? Woo! <laughs> Gene Smith is teaching Sunday school. He's been a deacon. He's been on the personnel committee. And he loves Jesus Christ with all his heart. And he, if, if you, you want a picture of a servant, Gene Smith sitting right there is a servant. Now I'm not saying that. Gene's not on the personnel committee now and he's not a deacon now. I'm not trying to get brownie points. But I can tell you this. If I called Gene tomorrow morning and I said, Gene, We've got a problem here at the church with this, and, and I think you could fix it. Gene would be here that afternoon working on fixing it. Gene worked tirelessly. He, had, he has hours put in in the remodel of the, our house at Westwood. He had that gift and ability. He, he and Tony and Seth worked hours and hours down there, sometimes at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. That's what God can do to a life. So if you're here this morning and you have an unbelieving spouse, 
Don't stop praying. And be an encouragement to them. And never, listen to me, never go home and say anything bad about what might be bad going on at the church. Somebody might have set the church on fire that morning. You go home and say, boy, church was lit today. I ought to go on the road. Some of you wish I would. <laughs> yeah, hey. Paul Harper like not to recognize me this morning. I've lost so much weight. He's been gone since May. He didn't know who I was. I'm reading a book right now. And outside of the book, outside of the Bible, it's the, most, it's the most wonderful book that I've ever read. And the title of it is simply Heaven. I'm going to preach a series of sermons on heaven in October. And I'm reading a book right now called Heaven. It's by a man named Randy Alcorn. If you don't have that book, if we don't have that book in the library, I'm going to make sure we do. If you don't have that book, I want you to get that book. It's forever more long. But man... It is changing my perspective. I, I feel like right now, more than at any other time in my life, I feel as I'm a, I'm a resident of heaven. And I want to tell you, I, I've been researching heaven, and even the greatest theologians who've ever written, they're in, in their writings, they only write a, maybe a page or two about heaven. But... And even in my theology classes, we don't talk about heaven nearly exhaustively as we do other things. But I have been researching heaven. And I don't want you to think I'm selfish. But man, I can't wait to get there. I have been to some... some I don't want to get way ahead of myself in my sermons, but I have been to some wonderful places. Some beautiful places. And when I come back, I'll tell, tell people, yo, this was a wonderful, this was a great place to eat. You ought to go there. My wife, who doesn't travel well, went to Turks and Caicos, and she called me, and I was worried that they, were going, that they would have to sedate her, put her on a plane, and send her back because she don't travel good at all. She sent me a message. She called me and said, I'm in paradise. You've got, her words were, you've got to come here someday. She didn't say we, she said you. But here's what I want you to get this morning. If you didn't get anything else I've talked about through this series, you are the bride of Christ. You have a home in heaven. And until you get to heaven, this should be the reflection of heaven for you. We should be the reflection of heaven to each other as we assemble here and as we minister here and as we go about your church membership should be a reflection of your future in heaven. You ever read Huck Finn? The, the, I think her name was Miss Wilson. She told Huck, Huck, you've got to go to heaven. You can't go to the bad place. You've got to go to heaven. They're going to give you a harp and you get to sit on a cloud and you get to play that harp all through eternity. Well, Huck didn't want to go to heaven. That didn't sound appealing. He didn't want to sit and play a harp all day. And Huck said, is Tom Sawyer going? And she said, I doubt it. And he said, well, I don't go either. 
This is practice for heaven. You're not going to heaven to sit on a cloud and play a harp. Do you know that you're going to work in heaven? You're going to have things to do in heaven. Yeah, we're going to worship. There's going to be great times of worship in heaven. But you're going to have, you're going to have work to do in heaven. You're going to have, your, your soul is going to be met there someday by your physical body. It's going to be joined together, glorified, and you're going to be, you're going to be this earth that has been corrupted and polluted. God is going to cleanse this earth and He's going to bring heaven down to this earth and you're going to be there for eternity and being together in church and serving each other in church, loving each other in church and serving your community and serving around the world is just practice for what you're going to be doing throughout eternity. That's why I've been preaching this sermon series. That's why God impressed it upon me is because as a church member, I am supposed to be in love with the bride of Christ. I stood right here on this platform one day, and a minister stood here, and I took vows to breathe that were unwavering and unconditional, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse. She's waiting on the richer and better. But I took vows there. When I became a part of the body of Christ, I said to Christ, from that moment, He began to show me my gifts and my abilities, and I have to be unconditional and unwavering in loving the body of Christ. I have to love you unconditionally and unwavering, no matter what. Have you ever endured a place that you didn't like? A job that you didn't like? I genuinely like being here. I know some miserable pastors. And I know some miserable church members. I hope, I I genuinely like being here. I know some miserable pastors who have expectations placed on them that are unattainable, unreachable, and, and really ungodly. I'm able to serve here, but you know what? Every time I go to serve here, you know what? There is somebody, normally, nine times out of ten, every time I go to serve here, there's somebody on each one of my shoulders serving alongside with me. Most pastors don't have that. Most pastors don't have that. Most pastors don't have deacons that will call him into the prayer room and lay hands, ten deacons a couple of Wednesday nights caught me in the prayer room. Most pastors that get called into a room along with ten deacons don't come out with the title of pastor at, at the end of it. My deacons laid hands on me and prayed for me. I had a bottle of anointing oil. I wanted to give it to them, tell them to pour it on and anoint me. That's, that's, what, that's what it's about. That's what we're doing. And, and we need to be a reflection of that outside of here. We need to show that love outside of here. As a church member, I'm not merely to like my church. As a church member, I'm not merely to serve my church. God has gifted every one of you to serve. Exhaust yourself in service to others. Leave this life exhausted from service. Leave this life complete. Collapse into the arms of Jesus because you were busy serving the whole time you were here. 
As a church member, I am to fall deeply in love with my church. I can't stand the statement that people will say to me when I talk to them about, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Or I don't want to be a part of the church. The church is Christ's bride. You may not like me, and you may say a lot of bad things about me, but if you don't like my wife and you say bad things about her, I'm more than likely going to come to your house. If she doesn't beat me to it. Don't offend Jesus by saying that you don't like the church because the church is Christ's bride. And if you can say that and mean it, you may not be a part of Christ. Jesus, Paul, Paul writes this in Romans 5.8. He said, but God proved His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't just die for me. He died for each one of you. He died for your family members who are lost right now. He died for the friend that you work with that's lost right now. He died for all those. And so, as a church member... We should be striving to love the body of Christ and to lead our families to be generations from now loving the church and loving each other and being a part of heaven already here now. So, there's another pledge there. There it is. In the book, there's a fifth place that says this on the back of your worship guide. I will lead my family to be good members of this church as well. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church because He gave His life for her. I'm sign my name there and date it. Date the 17th. Here's what I want to close with quickly is this. Christ died for you. Christ didn't die for you just so you could be a member of the First Baptist Church of Piedmont. Christ didn't die for you just so you could be the member of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta or whatever church. Christ died for you because you were a sinner he was the only one who could be the substitute for you on that cross and give his life. He loved you so deeply that he died for you. And this morning, that's what's most important. is your soul and his condition. And when you give your soul to Christ, then we'll talk about baptism and church membership. But this morning, I want to talk about your soul. And I want you to, I want you to think for just a moment if I left this life today, am I 100% certain that I have repented of my sins, turned away from those sins, that I have forgiveness through the blood of Christ, and that I know that I have a destination of heaven? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Not whether I'm a church member, or not whether I'm in good standing with the preacher or the deacons or whatever, but that I know I have forgiveness in Christ. And if you 
don't know that, and I want you to come this morning publicly and meet with myself or Seth or Donna and let us show you through Scripture how to know Christ as your Savior and how to know that for certain you have eternal life with Him. That's what's most important. Maybe you know that and you've struggled with baptism or, or you've struggled with church membership. Maybe you've prayed about it and you're to the point now to where you want to you take care of that. This morning would be a wonderful time. Our topic was leading our families. Maybe you have lost children or grandchildren. Maybe you have a lost family member, whoever it is. Maybe you want to come and spend some time in this altar crying out to God for them. Whatever the situation, now is a time of worship. It's a time of reflection. It's a time for you to decide what you're going to do in your relationship with Christ. Would you stand, Father? Thank you. We're so grateful for the love of Christ. We're so grateful to be a part of the body of Christ and to know that heaven is our home. I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has a doubt about that, that they'll come this morning and leave here today assured that they know Christ as their Savior. Father, I thank you for clarity of mind and the ability to preach the truth. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name.